And uh, so this is the continuation of a retreat. This is the last of the talks to them. I wasn't going to tell you that. I was going to sneak up on you, but he did give it away. So we did talk about uh, uh, living in the, being immersed in the love of God. Uh, and uh, what I said there was, if, if you don't get that, you don't get God. There's a lot of other things about God. He's sovereign. He is omniscient. Um, he's omnipresent. There are many attributes of God. But if you don't get the love of God, you don't get God. The second uh, thing that I said uh, was that, that we have to continually live in the presence of God, realizing our great need of Him. We are totally dependent upon Him. The way I like to put it is, we need always to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It isn't just when we come to faith the first time. We need to be washed in that blood every single day. And this will surprise you, but uh, I call that repentance. Because, and I don't have time to explain that, but I know that's not what you think about when you think about repentance. So then we talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, because nobody can live the Christian life because the Christian life is Christ's life. It has to be lived through you, and so without the Holy Spirit, it's hopeless. But this morning, we want to talk about prayer. I don't know, do, do you get the parade magazine in your newspaper? You know what that thing is? Have they quit publishing that thing? It, it's kind of skinny. It's got about 12 to 16 pages, something like that. I mean, it. it I wonder if anybody here saves it alongside the National Geographic, you know, uh, because you want to be able to go back and research and, and remember the stuff you read, right? No. <laughs> Now, you wonder why they cut down trees to, to produce that thing. But you know what? Even the Parade magazine can once in a while have something worthwhile. And some time ago, they had an article. It was about exercise. It was a pretty short article, as most of the articles are. And this particular article asked the question, how many of you think that exercise is important for your physical health? Would you believe that 75% of the people who live in America believe that exercise is important for their physical health? This was a really short uh, survey because they only had a, two questions. The second one was, how many of you exercise regularly? Would you believe it wasn't 75%? Would you believe it was less than 50%? It was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was low, you know. If I were to ask you, how many of you believe prayer is important for your spiritual life? I know that I'd get upwards of 100% here because you're in church. 95 anyhow. What if I asked you, how many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? Would it come down a little bit? Yeah, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture on prayer. By the way, if you have the gift of prayer, and I think there probably is such a gift, you probably should be up here, not me. Uh, this is for people who want to bring their prayer life up just a bit. James, James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. James 5, beginning with 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing the Lord in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let us pray. Father, here we come to you in prayer, asking that you will help us to understand the business of prayer better. Frankly, what we would like to do is to pray more. And so we would ask that somehow you'd use this message here from James to help us in that area. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know, prayer is kind of a mystery when you think about it. If God is a sovereign God, He can do what He wants to do, where He wants to do it, and we believe He is a sovereign God, that we do believe that He does what He wants to do, where He wants to do it, then why pray? Or if God is an omniscient God, uh, He knows everything, past, present, and future, that means He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it, then again you could say, why pray? And, and the best answer to that is this, because he says to pray. He tells us in this passage, look, if you're, if you're sick, pray. If you're dealing with some kind of difficulty, suffering and so on, pray. I even like this, if you're happy, <laughs> if, you, if you, you've got no reason to pray, you know, so to speak. I mean, you're just, things are going great. You just got a big smile on your face. James says that's the time to pray if you're cheerful. If you're sick, uh, pray. If you've fallen into sin, pray. And then he goes on in verse 16, notice this, he says, because prayer is powerful. The prayers of a righteous man and a righteous woman, they're powerful when they are acting. So he tells us to pray. I don't exactly know how prayer works. You know, do we change God's mind when we pray? Do we make him do something he wasn't going to do when we pray? This I know. God has a plan, and I think he worked out that plan before the foundation of the world, but I think that one of the ways he decided he was going to accomplish that plan, which he decided before the foundation of the world, was he was going to accomplish that not just by what you do, but by your prayers. You see, God's not only the one who creates the ends, he creates the means to the ends. And one of the ways that God accomplishes his ends is through our prayers. He says so. He says the prayers of a, of a righteous man and a righteous woman, they are powerful when they are acting. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that prayer is powerful and that things are moved because of prayer? You know, I had a professor in seminary, his name was Dr. Gutsky, and Dr. Gutsky told us about the first church he went to. It was out in West Texas, kind of a desert out there, if you've ever been there. Dusty place, and, uh, and uh, he said it was a tiny town. And when he came, he told the people, things are going to happen here. God's going to do something in this, in this town. We're going to see people come to faith. And they sort of yawned. Because they always got men right out of seminary. See, because they were a small church. And, and uh, 
everybody out of seminary is excited, you know. They, they just think, wow, God, I finally made it. I got out of seminary, and now I'm going to really see God work. And, and uh, you know, in the past, men came like that, and nothing really happened much, and the church didn't grow, and people didn't come to faith, and, and pretty soon the pastor would get a call to a little bigger church, a little bigger town. He would leave. Another person would come in on his white horse. Uh, from seminary and going to do the same thing. So now Dr. Gutsky was there. Yeah, we know. We've heard that before, you know. He said, no, no. We're not going to have a bunch of programs and stuff like that. We're not going to put out a sign, revival, you know, and have revival meetings in the church. Six o'clock every morning, I'm going to be in the church. I'm going to ask people to come and pray with me. And they did. And he said it wasn't long before we noticed uh, that, uh, yes, there was a new believer Somebody worked up at the grocery store. Somebody worked over the gas. Somebody that was teaching in the school. People were coming to faith. Yeah, people were going out and sharing their faith. But maybe they'd done that before. Or maybe because they were praying, they started doing it. I don't know. But he said prayer. That was it. You know, you heard I was the president of a seminary. And uh, if you looked at me, you thought, that guy doesn't look like a president of a seminary actually my friends when i told kind of you know every youth group if if you grow up in a church every youth group has kind of a hero dave johnson was our hero he was an athlete all the girls were in love with him and we were all jealous of him and so on and uh, i happened to go back uh, when i had just been elected uh, president but i hadn't been installed yet i went back i said hey dave i'm gonna be the president of the seminary you know what i mean he's a nice man he likes me too but he looked across the table at me and he said you? That's all. Only one word. One word would come out of, out of his mouth. So this seminary was ready to close. That's how I got the job in the first place. Nobody else wanted it. That's true. I'm not kidding you. I was number 21 on a list of 21 people, and the first 20 said no. And uh, they were stuck with me. We went from 121 students to 790 students. How'd that happen? I can tell you. This is what happened. Something happened among the trustees. It was kind of tragic. And one of their, their youngest members died. He'd been a graduate of the school. His father-in-law had been the president that founded the school. Uh, he, was, he was much loved. And he got cancer and he died. And, and they were just, they came to a meeting uh, of the, of the uh, trustees and they were just shaken by that. And they decided that rather than just open in prayer, they would have a prayer meeting. And, and, and somebody said, okay, but let's not pray for more students. Let's not pray for more money. Let's not pray for better professors, okay? Now, pretty much that's what, it, that's what a seminary is, right? This man said, let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray that God would make us the kind of man that can move this seminary, that can lead this seminary wherever he wants to take it. In the past, the opening prayer would last a minute or two at the most. This prayer meeting went on for two hours. One man was concerned we wouldn't get done in time. We wouldn't be able to cover all, the, all of the uh, things we had to do. But we began to see the seminary grow. In fact, it, it was kind of extraordinary. And they, every time they came after that, two hours of prayer before the meeting started. 
three years ago in my senior team, you know, we would go for three days of planning called the senior team uh, summer retreat. And uh, three years ago, we decided rather than plan for three days, we would pray and study for two days and plan for one day. And we were amazed. The planning was a lot better. We got a lot more accomplished. And the year went a lot better, so we've done it every year since. You see, look at verse 16 again. This is what I'm trying to show you. The prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman, when they are working, they are powerful. If you believe that, you would be more in prayer. I really believe that. If you want to see the church become a beacon on the hill, it'll never happen if we're not involved in prayer. God works through prayer. I can tell you that, you know, every missionary asks you to sign up for their prayer list. You think that they really want to be in contact with you so you give them money. And they need money or they can't go. But when they... When they asked for that in the past, I used to think that was a sneaky way of asking for money. You know, please pray for me. Because you can't say, you know, please give. I mean, that gets tiring. And uh, so it's better to say, would you pray for me? Now that I've been in this work, I know this. That if you were to tell a missionary, I can only do one of two things. I can pray for you or I can give. The missionary would say, then pray. Because if you don't pray, the giving's not worth anything. We take this passage seriously. The prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman, are powerful. It even has an example here, doesn't it? It says Elijah, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. You know, you read that and you say, what's he talking about? Elijah's a man like us. He's a Bible person, right? He's a Bible person. I mean, look, it says here he prayed, it didn't rain for three and a half years, then he prayed it was a gully washer. That doesn't happen to us. This is the same guy that went up on a mountaintop and uh, do battle with the uh, prophets of Baal, and he prayed and fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, almost consumed the altar. God doesn't do that kind of thing for us. This is the same guy that, that during these three and a half years, while it wasn't raining, he was feeding himself, a widow, and her son with just a snack. A little oil and a little meal. It was like a sandwich and a glass of milk. And it lasted for three and a half years. That doesn't happen to people like you and me, does it? Well, this text says that he's a man like us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's not a super human being. He's a dependent human being. And if the Bible says he's like us, he is like us. The Bible doesn't lie. We ought to believe, like Elijah, that prayer is powerful. That if we will pray, things happen. You know, my first wife died of cancer and we prayed that she'd be healed. And it, it, at one point we actually thought she was. They couldn't find the tumors. We were very excited about that. And I'm absolutely convinced that God could have healed her. But I can tell you, there were, um, I, I couldn't count all of the answers to prayer during the 12 years that she battled with that cancer. It was unbelievable. Uh, I, I shared with the, with the uh, elders and the deacons that uh, you know, she was the favorite patient of the doctor, and he was an atheist. And he got totally disgusted with us for sharing our faith with him. But he still, there was something 
he she was like a magnet, you know, and and he he, he just and so he had her come and teach in his class five times the last five years of her life. And the last time he said, just come, Jan, and share about yourself. Tell these people about these are medical students now. Tell them about yourself. I happened to take the telephone call, so I said, if you let Jan come and just talk about herself, but before it was about chemotherapy and stuff, you know. I said, it's going to be like a church service. And remember, he was an atheist, and I, I mean, I didn't want to, you know, really bug this guy, you know. And so I said, it's going to be like a church service. He said, I don't care. And she had an hour and a half. She gave her testimony, uh, how God was working in her life, the things he had done over these years, and so on. Just her relationship with Dr. Ely was a blessing from God, I will tell you. He shouldn't have been that kind to us. Prayers are powerful. God says so. Elijah shows us. Now, this text tells us what we ought to pray for, doesn't it? It tells us we ought to pray if we have physical needs. Verse 14, if anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Don't be ashamed to pray for physical things. You know, when I took this job, about three months into the job, one day I went to work and I was told five missionaries were leaving the field. Two of them had cancer in the family. One, um, a, a, a small seven-year-old child's uh, intestines exploded, the small intestine. One, there was a doctor's wife, medical doctor's wife, who had a dog parasite in her brain, very rare thing. She's the only one ever lived with that. Um, and um, what was the fifth one? I'm having, oh, there was a complete psychotic break in one family, member of one family. Now, you can say it's because they worked in primitive places. They didn't have the kind of medical uh, resources we have, all of that. Yeah, that's true. But that's too much of a coincidence. That's an attack of Satan, too. And uh, we need to be praying for our missionaries and praying for them physically. And we need to be praying for ourselves and praying for ourselves in uh, our own physical need. Look, I pray for my retirement program. You heard I'm just about to retire. And you remember what happened in 2008. Now, look, I don't think we should depend on our retirement program. I think we should depend on God. But I need that retirement program, so I don't think it's wrong to pray for it. I ask God to bless it. And uh, I don't think this country deserves a lot from God. You know, I mean, if the whole stock market crashed, I think we would deserve it. Uh, you know the things we've done, like kick God out of the school and, and the babies in the womb, and I could go on and on. It's a sad state of affairs, but we're still God's people, and, and we ought to pray for the health of our country. Uh, and I'm talking about the physical health of our country as well as the spiritual health. But this text does tell us that not only should we pray for the physical needs that we see around us, we should pray for the spiritual needs. Notice in verse 16, well, verse 15 and 16, and if anyone commits sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another, you may be healed. Here's the thing. If you could look inside of everybody, yourself included, you would see that the spiritual deficit is greater than the physical deficit. It's easy to see a physical deficit. If you're sick or something like that, you've got a cold, sore throat, you know that. It's more difficult, but I believe the, the spiritual deficit would be bigger than the physical. 
And I want to tell you something. If you're praying for your missionaries, pray for them spiritually. They, it's You know, every day you're out there banging your head against the wall. You can get discouraged. You can become apathetic. Missionaries fall into sin even. And you need to be praying for your pastor and your elders and deacons who I met with this weekend. And, and you need to be praying for one another. Oh, and by the way, we're supposed to pray for those in authority over us. And you're not very far from those people. Where you live, I'm a bit further. If you need to be praying for those, the Bible says so. Now, if all these things are true, then why don't we pray more? And I can tell you why. It's because we don't think we need to, and we don't think it'll work. Now, I know that you know that that's not the right answer. If I had given you an exam, you would not answer that way. You would have said, we need to, and it works, because I already told you it works. But let me explain what I mean. A few years ago, I was traveling to the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. I was going to preach there, and so I had to take a plane. It's what I call a real plane from Atlanta to Minneapolis. Then I had to get on what I call a puddle jumper, which I don't like because they look rusty to me. They have propellers, and they shake a lot, and I had to fly that down to Cedar Falls. And uh, I did the thing you should never do when you're going to fly on an airplane, and that is before I left home, I looked on the weather channel to see how things were. And, and the state of Iowa was solid red. You know what that is, thunder boomers at 50,000 feet. It was solid red. It was terrible. Well, we flew into Minneapolis. By that time, the front had already gotten there, and I'm telling you, we barely landed, and I mean, it was raining cats and dogs. And when I got inside, I looked up, and man, they were canceling everything. I mean, everything. It was cancel, 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 cancel. And I thought, this is great. Because I would rather sit in a chair than be in an airplane at 50,000 feet or 30,000 feet when the boomers are at 50,000. I don't like that. When the thing is bouncing around, it just it doesn't feel good to me. And all of a sudden, I hear them call for my airplane. And I went up to the little podium there, and I said, the lady, I thought you called for the plane to Cedar Falls. She said, I did. I said, well, you're supposed to cancel it. She said, no. You see that little bus out there? You get on that bus, they'll take you to the, to the plane. There was another guy with me. I said, well, where's the umbrella? She said, we don't have any. You just run fast. So, so I ran out there, and he ran out there. We got on the bus. Bus took us to that, you know, the plane. The, 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 the door and the stairs are all the same thing, you know. So it comes down like this. We get off. We run up. We're just dusting off the water and so on. And I look around. We're the only two on the plane. And this is before 9-11, because I know they can't do this now, but the stewardess, this is the truth, the stewardess said, you know, when there's only two on the plane, I don't have to go, and she got off. <clears throat> and they, I'm telling you, and, 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 the, and they left the door open, and, and, the, and the co-pilot, he became the steward, you see, and, and he's talking to us about, you know, good things like, if we lose pressurization, something will fall out of the sky, and over there you can find a hatchet to knock, to chop yourself out, and here's a flashlight. And so I raised my hand. I said, "Look, do you know how to steer around thunderstorms?" He said, "Oh, you're one of those kind, huh?" Now we got up in the air, and I was just like I thought it was going to be, and uh, uh, but you can see we made it. But what if we'd gotten halfway to Cedar Falls, and the steward, who's also the co-pilot, he leans up back and he yells through the door, 
hey, we've got a problem up here. We've lost the controls on the plane. We're not going to be able to land the thing. I suggest you pray back there. How many would have been praying? Oh, but, but what if the other person was a dyed-in-the-wool atheist going to an atheistic convention? Then how many would have been praying? That's right. That's right. You see, if we really thought we needed to pray, we would pray. And this text is telling us we need to pray. The other thing is we don't think it'll work. We don't think it'll work. Tell you a story. We have this seminary I teach every year over in Ukraine. And we had a lady over there, a young woman named Tanya, that runs the thing for us. And she does a very good job. Well, a few years ago, she wanted to come to the States and get a master's degree in English as a second language. And because she'd helped us so much, we wanted to help her. And we looked around and we found that, uh, uh, I hate to tell, I've already found out there's some people who are not going to like this story. But uh, we found that there was a Russian-speaking person in that particular program at the University of Alabama. See what I mean? So, so we, we decided we'd get her in there because, you know, that would really be ideal. She was a Russian-speaking person. But we couldn't get her a visa. So Richard Watson, who runs that program for me, he called me up and said, Paul, do you know anybody in Tuscaloosa that we could talk to? And I said, well, I know a pastor over there named John. So I'll call him. So I called John. John said, I know some people at the, at the university. I'll call them. And so he called them. And guess what happened? Nothing. So Richard White calls you back. He says, do we know any politicians in Alabama? Well, I knew some people in Montgomery. So I called them. They called their politician friends. Uh, and same thing happened. Nothing. So then Richard says to me, he calls me up. He says, Paul, this is not working. He says, I think we're going to have to pray. Now, Richard, in those days, because he had been an academic dean at Reform Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, but he'd moved to Panama City, but he was still preaching in, in Mississippi every week. He would get on a plane, fly from Panama City to Atlanta, Atlanta to Jackson, rent a car, and drive up to Louisville, Mississippi. This particular day, he got a late start. When he got out there, the plane had already gone. He had to take a late plane, so when he got to Atlanta, the only plane going to Jackson was going Birmingham, Jackson. And it was late on a Saturday. That's when the fewest people fly. And when he got on the plane, it was nearly empty. And in the back, you know, there was nobody. And he thought, I'll go back there. You know how it is. You don't want to have to talk to people. And you got a lot of room and so on. And he said, for reasons I don't know, because there were two people in the row I was supposed to sit in. When I went by, I just sat down. And, it's you know, a plane going from Atlanta to Birmingham was like that, you know. So it wasn't a long flight, but he heard these guys talking about the University of Alabama. So as the plane's coming down, the man in the center says, what do you do for a living? Richard told me as a preacher and so on. And he said, by the way, I heard you talking about the University of Alabama. Let me tell you, I got a problem. He tells the man the problem. The man turns to him and says, you know what? This must be your lucky day. Because I'm in charge of that program. I'll get your young lady in, and I'll even go to Birmingham and pick her up when she comes from Ukraine. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think prayer works like that? You see, prayer works. This is what I suggest. Because I think prayer is difficult. Find something that works for you. You know, I thought I would be a George Mueller. 
you've never read the story of him, he prayed his whole life and fabulous things happened and there are books written about him and I thought, I want to be another Mr. Mueller, you know. But I looked in the mirror one day and it's not George Mueller. And at just that long list of prayers just didn't work for me. So I started what I call my high priestly prayers. Every morning I pray for certain people. Every day. And sometimes it gets a bit routine, but I keep it up. And, and so I get it done every day. I, and, and you know what? With my personality, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't do it. I have to have a routine. Same with exercise. Second thing I, I started doing is, uh, I, I, uh, you know, this is uh, calling cards, but they're not really calling cards. Well, they are, but I've had so many jobs, you know, these things don't count anymore on the front side. So I just write scripture on the back side. So then when I'm in airports, like I'll be this afternoon and so on, I can get these out and I can read the scripture. I pray over the scripture. I call my scripture prayers. I, I use these on the way to work. And uh, it's better than listening to the news. Uh, and, and I get some prayer time in. And uh, so that's the second thing that works for me. A third thing I do is I call my prayers of opportunity. If you call me or come to my office and want to talk about anything, I'm going to probably pray with you before you get away. Um, I got that idea from a guy coming. He was coming to visit me one time, and uh, he landed in Atlanta. And th this was before you, when you could go out to the, to the, don't you hate that you can't go and meet people at the plane anymore? And uh, so I went out there, and uh, when, he, when he got off the plane, I said, uh, hey, did you pray before you got on? Well, I knew he had, because everybody does. Well. Have you ever looked at those things? They don't look like they're going to fly, right? They got wings, but they don't flap. They, they, they weigh a ton, and they don't have feathers. And, I mean, come on. So everybody prays when they get on. I, so I said, have you prayed? Did you pray when you get on? He said, yeah. I said, you know what? We should pray right now and thank God you made it. And we bowed our heads right there in the concourse in Atlanta, right in the middle, and prayed and thanked God. And I thought, you know what? I could do this a lot. I call it. Prayers of opportunity. Think about that. Start praying with your friends when you're talking to them and you get ready to go. It, it'll, it'll just, all it'll do is, is rev up your friendship. Remember that lady, Tanya, I told you about over in Ukraine? The way we run that seminary, we take the best professors we can over to uh, Ukraine. And early on, we took this theology professor. He went over there with two bags. He had books in one bag and he had clothes in the other. When he went back, he only had clothes. So he contacted Richard and he said, Richard, I left my books in that sanatorium in that room we, uh, that we rented over there. He said, could you see if you could get my books for me? So Richard emailed Tanya and said, Tanya, someday after work, can you go out to that sanatorium and see if those books are there? Well, it's wintertime now, you know. And, and uh, so she gets on a bus and goes to the end of the bus line gets off the bus and walks through these very piney, dark woods. The sun has already gone down, you know. Gets to the sanatorium. She had a hard time finding the caretaker because it was shut down. It was wintertime. But she finally found him, and he found the books. And then he said to her, uh, how'd you get here? She didn't, he didn't see any car. The road ends at a little cul-de-sac there. How'd you get here? She said, well, I, I took a bus, and I came through those woods. He said, no, you didn't. He, she said, yes, I did. He said, no, it wouldn't be possible for a young lady to get off in that little village and come through those woods and, and uh, not be attacked. Well, now, 
Tanya had something to think about because she had to get back to the end of the bus line, you know. And Tanya was a rather young Christian in those days. But Tanya really believed, verse 16, prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman, they, they're powerful. So she said, she bowed her head right there and prayed that God would help her to get back safely to the end of the bus line. She raised her head from praying. She put one foot into the woods and a car came down the road and uh, stopped and the man rolled down the window and said, uh, do you need a ride? And she said, yeah, I need a ride back to the end of the bus line. And, and she got in and as they were going back, he said, you know, it's a funny thing, but I live around here. I know this is a dead end road. And I, I can't figure out why I came down this road. And Tanya said, I know why you came down this road. Because I prayed. You believe that? That's what this text is all about. The prayers of a righteous man, a righteous woman, when they are acting, they're powerful. Don't copy what I do. But figure out something that works for you. Because prayer needs to be an important part of your life. It really does. Let's us pray. Father, again, we come to you praying. We've just been listening to you as you speak to us through this text about the importance of prayer, the privilege of prayer, the extent of prayer. We would ask, Father, that you would help us to be praying men and praying women that we might see the power of prayer. Believe that for those who are in Christ, Prayer is a powerful thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.